to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Let us worship God. has been poured into our hearts through the gift of the Holy Spirit. The proof of God's amazing love is this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Because we have faith in him, we dare to approach God in confidence. With one voice, let us pray together the prayer of confession. We confess, O oh God, 
that too often we have our head in the clouds. We are more comfortable with dreaming of the world as we wish it would be instead of working with you to bring that wish to reality. At times, we find it difficult to claim the power you have given us. Surely you have others more capable of being your witnesses? And so we continue to gaze heavenwards. Jolt us out of our complacency, O oh God. Remind us we have work to do with you. Give us your energy, courage, and vision to be your witnesses to the end of the earth. Amen. The grace of God is from everlasting to everlasting. In every situation and shortcoming, we can rely on God's grace. Knowing this, may we find peace. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Good morning, everyone, and good morning. <laughs> And welcome to worship at Fourth Presbyterian Church on this, the seventh Sunday of Easter. As we draw closer to God in worship, may we also be drawn closer to one another as a community of faith, welcoming one another here because God first welcomed us. I invite you to turn and to greet your neighbors, sharing the peace of Christ with them. And for those who are joining us online, we hope you'll take the time to let us know that you're joining us today, whether via the QR code on your screen or in the link below your video. We extend a warm welcome to you as well. So beloved, may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And God's people said, Amen. As we look ahead in these coming weeks for other ways to build community and connection, we hope that you'll take a moment to look through the closing pages of the bulletin for a variety of ways to learn, volunteer, and engage in the life of this congregation. And if you're here in the sanctuary, we hope that you'll take a moment to find and fill out the pew pads and to share those with anyone else who might be seated in your pew. And I'll highlight a few things of particular note in our bulletins this morning. 
Today is Dedication Commemoration Sunday at Fourth Church. It's a day where we mark the anniversary of the dedication of this sanctuary, giving thanks for all who have made possible our place in this city from which we fulfill our mission to serve our neighbors to the glory of God. And also on this Sunday, I express on behalf of Pastor Shannon her disappointment that she can't be with us this morning as she's currently quarantining with COVID. We wish her a very speedy recovery and we look forward to her joining us in worship leadership next Sunday, May 28th, which will be Shannon's final Sunday with us. Shannon will preach next Sunday morning, after which we will hold a congregational meeting for the purpose of formally dissolving the pastoral relationship between Shannon and Fourth Church. And then afterwards, we will have a gathering for a festive reception in Shannon's honor. If you've not yet had the opportunity to contribute a card, note, letter, or recollection of memories for Shannon's uh, memory box, we invite you to do so at your earliest convenience, especially today. These private messages will be presented to Pastor Shannon in a memory box that we will give to her next Sunday ways in which to make memory box contributions are noted in your worship bulletin. And this evening, you are invited to enjoy a concert at 6.30 p.m. at St. James Cathedral. Our neighbors just a few blocks from here and they'll be featuring our fourth church choral society and the St. James choirs performing festive and celebratory choral works as combined choirs. We treasure our relationship with one another. And now I am pleased to invite Vern Broders to come forward to the chancel to meet with Pastor Nanette for a ministry minute. Hello, Vern. Hello, Nanette. Thank you so much for giving us a few words today. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, can you share a, a little something about your service as head usher and why that has been important to you? Well, I was very fortunate. I worked with a great a group of ushers over the years, all of whom are very dedicated to being part of the hospitality of this church, who work very hard to make sure that everyone is comfortable and greeted warmly. And uh, it's, it's really been an honor to, to lead that group. That's wonderful. And we are so appreciative of all of that service. Well, how are you hoping, now that you're shifting into service as a trustee, how are you hoping that that will affect your spiritual life? Well, I, I bring to the table a, a, a unique perspective on this sanctuary and, and all of the other parts of the campus. So I look forward to being a good steward of, of uh, our resources here as the facilities and our, our treasures. And I, am, uh, I believe that we have a lot we can still be doing, even more than ever before. And I look forward to having people 
uh, join us uh, in a warm environment in this otherwise imposing place. And so um, it, for me, that brings me a great deal of, of, uh, of comfort and, and, uh, and happiness that I can serve that way. Well, thank you so much for that. Do you have one favorite memory of your time of service here? Well, there, I started going here about nearly 30 years ago, and I, and I brought a girlfriend here who, uh, on an Easter Sunday who I was hoping to impress. And we got to the front door, and there was this mob of people out front, and we couldn't get in anywhere. And we got sent to the south balcony and then to the north balcony. There were no seats anywhere. Finally, we ended up on the east balcony. I was disappointed that it was such a tough time and wasn't very hospitable. So I told her that I would see what I could do. So I joined the Usher Corps. <laughs> and and I uh, tried to help organize those holidays, and I've ended up volunteering on a lot of other things, hoping to bring some warmth and smiles to, to this congregation. Mm. And uh, that's, that's, been a, that, that's worked out really well, and it's been very important to me. Oh, and by the way, I did marry that girlfriend right here in the sanctuary. <laughs> and everybody had a seat that day. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you so much.
Let us pray. Living God, with joy, we celebrate the presence of your risen word. Enliven our hearts by your Holy Spirit so that we may proclaim the good news of eternal and abundant life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. Listen now for God's word to us. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-matured wines, a rich food filled with marrow, a well-matured wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. second scripture lesson is from the book of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell among them, they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. We are 
at a time of beginnings and endings and new beginnings. This is the end of our sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. And next week, we will celebrate Pentecost, the beginning of the early church. And yet, it will be Shannon's last day in worship with us, another ending. Beginnings and endings and beginnings again. There's a beautiful prayer in the Book of Common Worship to use as a blessing in times like this. It begins, Holy God, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. All of our beginnings and endings are rooted in your love. As we approach the end of the Apostles' Creed today, we can remember that we've been talking about this creed for three months. There's a lot inside and under and behind this creed. Each phrase is a doorway into a whole room of meaning. It took 700 years for the creed to develop into the form we recite today. Before that, different versions of the creed were used, often at baptisms, as a kind of summary of the faith. The creed evolved through those early years, early centuries of Christianity, both in the words that were used in the creed and the meanings and the interpretations of what those words meant. In earliest times, for example, God the Father was understood to mean God the Creator, the Father of the world, created the world. God was understood to be the divine parent of everything. But by the beginning of the third century, people began to speak of how God is like a father to each person. God the Father wasn't just the creator of everything. God was understood to be our Father. Then in the fourth century, when controversy broke out about the Trinity, the emphasis shifted in order to emphasize how God is Jesus' Father. And Jesus is God's Son, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of both of them. This shifted the focus of the creed more to that relationship between the three aspects of the Trinity. As understandings of the fatherhood of God shifted at one point, the phrase, maker of heaven and earth, was added to the creed to reinforce that original understanding of God as creator. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. Human understandings about things change as we grow as a society and as a world. And those changing understandings are reflected in the history of our creeds and our confessions of faith. Christianity is, in some ways, a centuries-long conversation about meaning, and we're invited into that conversation. Faith is not a simple or simplistic thing. It is dynamic. Similar shifting conversations happened in regard to the second part of the creed and the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. We say in the creed that we believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Early interpretations emphasized that this demonstrated Jesus' humanity. He was born of a woman just like all of us. 
But later, this was invoked to show his divinity by emphasizing that Christ was conceived by the Holy Ghost and miraculously born to a virgin. Now, we're in the third part of the creed, taking a look at those things that happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. Join me in saying this part about the Holy Ghost. Join in when it clicks in. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Holy Ghost, also called the Holy Spirit, is the third person of the Trinity. And all of these things in this part of the creed happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit flows through us all, binding us together in the universal church and all the everyday saints like you and me who make up the church. I sometimes like to think of the Holy Spirit as God whispering to our hearts or God giving us an impulse or an idea or a longing to use our God-given gifts for the good of the world. The Holy Spirit knows our prayers before we speak them, and even before we have words for them, which is how the Spirit can intercede on our behalf, as Scripture says. The Holy Spirit is God with us today, in non-tangible form, yet moving us, nudging us. The Spirit gives us power to create, to persevere, to serve, and to heal. The Spirit inspires us. Do you hear that? To inspire is to take in the Spirit. God, God inspires us for the first time when God puts the breath of life into us and gives us life. The Holy Spirit is God, just as the Creator is God and the Redeemer is God. This is also an understanding that evolved over time. It wasn't until the late fourth century that the church officially proclaimed that the Holy Spirit is together and equal in all ways to the Creator and the Redeemer, the Father and the Son. But even before that, the Holy Spirit was affirmed in early versions of the creed when it was used at baptisms as a kind of outline of the faith that was being professed. It was in and through baptism in the early church that sins were forgiven and the newly baptized rose from the waters as a new person. In baptism, we speak about the symbolism of dying with and being resurrected with Jesus Christ. We go under the water into death and we rise up again into new life. Of course, here we do it at our church with sprinkles, <laughs> but it's the same symbolism. In baptism, we are made new. In baptism, we clothe ourselves with Christ. And Christ was all about forgiveness. On the day of his resurrection, according to John's gospel, one of the first things that Jesus did was give the Holy Spirit to his disciples 
and tell them to forgive. Jesus appeared to the disciples in a locked room where they were hiding in fear. In John we read, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Once again, the disciples inhaled the inspiration. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and sent to bring forgiveness to anybody and everybody. They were sent to baptize in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and to forgive. In forgiveness, we are healed. To believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting means to believe in transformation. It means to believe in healing, ultimate and infinite healing. Now to speak of resurrection and eternal life, we have to speak about death. And that is a delicate thing. Most of us are afraid of death, either our own death or the death of our loved ones. Many of us have lost loved ones and we know the depths of grief. To speak of our hope in resurrection and our hope in eternal life should never be used to judge our grief or anyone's grief. Our hope is not meant to avoid or avert the real and reasonable human experience of grief in response to loss. Grief is part of life, and it's something we must go through. We can't go over it or around it. If we try, it's likely to jump out and surprise us or squeak out, sneak out sideways and hurt the people around us. We approach grief and fears of death with tenderness, knowing that these are healthy human responses to painful parts of life. There's a beautiful talk by Irish priest John O'Donohue called Love is the Only Antidote to Fear. In it, he talks about the many things of which we are afraid, one big fear being the fear of death, O'Donohue found a meaningful metaphor for death when he was thinking about birth. He said, what if we got it all wrong about death? What if we've got it backwards? We think of death as an ending, but what if it's a beginning, like birth is a beginning? He describes an imaginary conversation with a baby before it's born. If we could talk to a baby and tell it what it's about to go through, it might go something like this, O'Donohue suggests. We'd say, listen, baby, here's the scoop. First, you're about to be expelled from the shelter of the womb where you have been formed. Second, you will be pushed along a passage where you will feel at every moment like you are being smothered. Third, You'll arrive out into a vast vacancy that is cold and bright, probably filled with merciless light. Fourth, 
the cord that connects you to the mother heart will be cut. Fifth, no matter how close you ever come to anyone in your life afterwards, you will always be deeply alone. Sixth, you're going on a journey for which there is no map. Seventh, you can't turn back. Eighth, anything can happen to you on the journey. If we could tell this to a baby, we can imagine they might well panic. They might say, oh, it's been so great in here, but it sounds like now I'm going to die. But really, they're about to be born. Perhaps death is also like this, O'Donohue says. We only see the destructive part of it, but really, we're being born again, he says, in a way that the loneliness of space and time no longer have a hold over us. In this new life, there's no loneliness. And this brings to mind some of Jesus' teachings about eternal life. In the Gospel of John, Jesus makes long prayers to God on the night of his betrayal and arrest before he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. First, he tells his disciples that they are about to be scattered. And it will seem that they left Jesus alone. But he is not alone, he says, because he and God the Father are one. God is with him and he is with God. Then Jesus prays that all people may have eternal life. And he defines eternal life in this very interesting way. When I found this scripture, I had to read it again and again. And this is eternal life, Jesus says, addressing God the Father. This is eternal life, that they may know you. No more loneliness. No more being scattered. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus oddly speaks of himself in the third person here. In John's gospel, this eternal life begins in this life. It's a quality of life in which we know and are known by God. Jesus' prayer goes on to describe a radical togetherness, a unity with God and Christ. The glory that you have given me, he prays, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the beginning of eternal life. And this is a promise that is everlasting. In Isaiah, we read that God will swallow up death forever and will wipe away the tears from all faces. And in Revelation, we read that God will dwell among mortals and will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. The promises are repeated and we are reminded, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, God says. Sometimes birth 
may feel like an ending, but it is, of course, also a beginning. And we fear that death may be only an ending, but perhaps it is also the beginning of freedom and love and union with God. This doesn't diminish our grief, nor should it, but perhaps it reminds us of God's love. Because as the Book of Common Worship reminds us, all of our endings and our beginnings are rooted in that steadfast and eternal love that God has for each of us and for us as the Church, the communion of saints. And so may we be inspired by that love, the holy breath of God, the spirit of forgiveness, and the promise of new life, eternally known, known by, and knowing God. May it be so. Amen.
let us remain standing and join together in affirming what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. Let us join together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Let us just take a moment of quiet as we come to God in prayer. O oh God of a new heaven and new earth, it is in you that we trust with all our life. Yes, through the circling years of our lives, with the lilting grace and the sinking gravity, you, O oh God, are our help, our guide, our steady assurance. We reach to you, O oh God, because we know your promise is sure, that you call us into community with one another, and you nurture our life together in countless ways, and all that you ask is that we enjoy you forever. And for this, we are ever grateful. On this day, as we pause to give thanks for the beauty of this sanctuary on this Dedication Commemoration Sunday, we pause to remember that the first worship service was held in this place in 1914. We give thanks for the light that has beamed brightly in dark times in our nation and world through this space, for sermons preached, music that lifts us, for its holding of life events, baptisms, weddings, funerals, memory etched on its walls in our hearts. And we hold immense gratitude for all who have made possible this sanctuary as a place in this city where we might do our ministry together. And we give thanks for all as well who have contributed to our ministry over the years and those through our legacy society who are committed to passing on the legacy of our ministry for future generations. Indeed, your promise to sustain us through every moment of our lives, O oh God, is planted in the fiber of our being as a congregation and our lives, in unimaginable joy that sweeps us off our feet, joy in reunion with friends and classmates, joy when family embraces, and the steady accompaniment all of this arrives like a long-lost companion, joy at the discovery of our deepest passion in art and song and painting, 
and even telling jokes and slam poetry. Yes, O oh God, you infuse this world with goodness, pure and strong, and you draw us into your guiding and generous joy. Also on this day, O oh God, we lean on your promises, indeed stand on the promises that you are right here, right now, guiding and holding us. We give you thanks, O oh God, that you are with us also in joy and also in deep fear and pain. When disease racks our bodies, wipe the tears from our eyes, most holy one. When our hearts break at the sight of violence, war, environmental harm, racial and gender injustice, mend the brokenness, most precious Lord. When loss of those we love shakes us, whether the loss of memory, those who walk away from us in anger, the loss of a generation that slips out of sight, O oh God, be present to us. For you are the God of resurrection hope, where death brings us eternal life, where pain is quenched by your sparkling balm, and where all things are made new through the power of your Son, Jesus Christ, who comes this day to bring fullness of life. Draw us in the Spirit's tether so that we might meet you in one another, light shimmering, hope fluttering, stepping to the beat of the heart of creation through each step we take, each day we wake, each hour through which we find our way. Come and walk beside us, Jesus, and give us a taste of eternity as we join together in praying the prayer you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Day by day and with each passing moment, we find strength in our call to contribute to this world. And how do we do this? Through a smile to someone who is alone, through a hand that serves a meal to unexpected guests, through teaching a child to plant a seed that will grow into nourishment, through giving of our means so that it will join with others' gifts, abundance upon abundance. Yes, we give because it's good, and we give because we are recipients of so very much unmerited grace and love. If you are online, you can give through the church's website or by sending a check, or you can give through Venmo, both online and in the sanctuary. Please give generously and with a glad heart. Our morning offering will now be received.
Let us join together in the prayer of dedication. Let us pray. O God, for the life you have given to us, for your love made known, for the gifts of time and treasure, may your gracious life be shown. Your wonders astound us, and your love arises with bounty. For all of this and so much more, we give you thanks. Through Christ we pray. Amen. this blessing from poet-priest John O'Donohue. 
May you listen to your longing to be free. May the frames of your belonging be generous enough for your dreams. May you arise each day with a voice of blessing whispering in your heart. May you find a harmony between your soul and your life. May the sanctuary of your soul never become haunted. May you know the eternal longing that lives at the heart of time. May there be kindness in your gaze when you look within. May you never place walls between the light and yourself. May you allow the wild beauty of the invisible world to gather you, mind you, and embrace you in belonging. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. May it be so. Amen. Thank you.